Well, that was a lukewarm shower of shit, wasn't it? Um, two nil lost to PSV could have easily been five nil, five one, maybe five two at a stretch. But uh, yeah, thoroughly beaten, outplayed, embarrassed, very very poor poor, poor performance. Not really a lot more to say than that so uh yeah that's it for me thank you for no i'm joking it, it, it really was bad though like i i really could have done a two-minute podcast on this and would not have cared but you know i am far more dedicated than that so you're going to get the full thing um look fell to our first defeat in the europa league group stage um goals from veerman and luke de jong meant we weren't able to book our place uh in the last round of 16 with uh guaranteeing top spot um, it means we've got to do the job against FC Zurich. And look, when you look at their results and how they've played, um, they got their first win of the Europa League group stage the other night, um, beating Berda Glimt. But when you look at their results generally, they've been pretty bad. You know, I think PSV pumped about 10 goals past them over the course of the two games in the group stage. So you should feel pretty confident that we can do the business, particularly at home. But it means we do have to do the business at home, or um, or we'll be playing one of the teams that drops down from the Champions League in February, rather than putting our feet up as far as the Europa League is concerned until March when the round of sixteen games are. So we've given ourselves lots to do. I've got to be honest. I expected PSV to be better. I expected us to be not great, but I didn't expect them to be as good as they were, and I didn't expect us to be as bad as we were. Um, I thought we'd have enough to scrape past, maybe a draw, sneaky win. Certainly wasn't expecting the loss. Um, but this is football, as I keep saying. This is football. People have a bad day at the office. Think about yourself. Think about your job. You're not at your best 24-7. You're going to have those off days when you're not quite at it. It's the same for footballers. They're going to have days when they're not quite at it. And these players were definitely not. Um, there are some troubling signs. Now, as I said, I think... The talk about Berda Glimt and Leeds and PS and uh, the first game against PSV in Southampton. I think there's, I think there were equivalences being drawn that weren't necessarily neat straight lines, but it doesn't change the fact that there have been some disconcerting signs for a while now. Um, so we're going to pick those apart a little bit on on this episode, and we'll have to, of course, look ahead to Nottingham Forest and see what comes. Um, what I would say is. We were second best from start to finish the entire time. The entire time, second best. Um, now, I'm going to be a bit critical of the team, but I'm going to add the caveat that we've had an amazing start to the season. And so that can kind of have two effects, really. Um, it can make losses harder to take because it feels like we're dropping off from a higher level. Um, and so you can really feel it when you don't quite perform. Um it also means that there is, even subconsciously, if not consciously, an expectation that we can meet those levels again and again and again. So if we don't meet those levels, you know, people have question marks about the talent of the squad. Um, and it convinces us that the players are maybe permanently at a higher level than they might be. Now, I don't want to con contradict myself here because one of the things, if you haven't heard me say it, you're going to hear me say it a lot. So caveat. You'll hate me after a while for keep for repeating it, but one of the things I think Arsenal fans, particularly during the banter era and 
particularly in the late Wenger days, the last days of Wenger. I think Arsenal fans, a lot of us, um, particularly those online, had a tendency to overestimate the ability of our players. Um, now I'm going to make some references that people may not like, but it, I, it just is what it is for me. For example, we'd see Wilshire pull off a performance like he did against Barca or Diaby like he did against Liverpool, and we'd assume that's their level. In reality, a player's level is the level that they show most consistently over the course of a season or seasons, right? You can play amazingly for one game. That does not mean that's your level. And I'm not saying Jack only played brilliantly for one game. I'm not saying Diaby only played brilliantly for one game. That's not true. But what I mean is, as good as Jack Wilshere was, he will even himself admit he didn't hit the level he could have. So that level that could have been his level wasn't his level. It was how how high he could go, you know. And you're not as good as your best performance. You're as good as the level you hit most consistently. Um, and I think with us, a lot of our performances this season have been at a very high level, which is why we're top of the league two points clear, top of our Europa League group, only lost the two games in all competitions the entire season. Um, but that does not mean that the levels we've hit in the first few weeks are our level just yet. It's the level we could hit. It's the level we can hit consistently. But it remains to be seen whether or not it is in fact our level or whether or not that's how well we perform at our peak. And that's where these the disconcerting performances start to come into it. Um, now, we've had some tough away games. Mentioned Berlin, mentioned Leeds, mentioned Southampton. PSV was a tough away game. Um, and particularly with tough away games, you really have to earn your right to play. Now, we've all heard that saying. But I think it is true. There is a certain degree to which you have to be proactive, assert yourself on a game, dominate the ball, and then you can play your game. You can't just show up and say, we're better than the other team, so we should win. You really have to earn the right to be called the better team. And we strolled into their place and looked like we were going through the motions, and they looked like they were on it. And we got caught cold and didn't know what the fuck was going on, and we were basically second best the entire match. Um Ramsdale was asked after the game whether this game was a reality check. Um, he said no. He said, you know, after Southampton, they knew what went wrong and had a look. And after this game, they'll have a look at what went wrong as well. You know, he pointed to the fact that Arteta was really good at giving them instructions on how to improve. So I don't think it's a question of being a reality check, at least if you trust what the players say. It may be more a case that I think the players showed up in cruise control and got hit with some conditions that cruise control can't handle. That's how it looked to me anyway. Um, in terms of the lineups, a few interesting things that happened. Um, was it, I was expecting more rotation than we got. I was expecting more of the Premier League starters to start this game. Not many more, but one or two more. Um, I'm not mad. I'm not mad at it. When I saw the team, I was like, this team can win this game. Um, there was no Matt Turner in the match day squad at all. Um, he, I believe, uh, injured his groin, so wasn't in the squad. So Aaron Ramsdale making his first 
European competition appearance of his career. Um, not one he's going to want to remember, but no doubt one he will. Um, we had Saliba back in the starting lineup, Tom Yassi right back, Tierney left back, next to holding, yeah. Sambi um, at the six, Erdegaard and Shaka, Vieira wide right, Martinelli left, Eddie through the middle. Um, and you'd heard me say on the preview pod of, before the first PSV game and in the preview pod before this game, the thing about PSV defense, their defense is they will panic if you play quick passes in and around them, you put them under pressure, run directly at them, they'll panic and you'll be in. Um, which is why our five attacking channels are, you know, our principles of play, the, the you know, the possession football that Arteta likes to play in those attacking five channels, the positional play, that really will undo a team like PSV. But that requires us to be ball dominant and put them under pressure, and we didn't at all. Um, and that is pretty much the story of the game. Uh, you know, for PSV, they had El Ghazi through the middle, Xavi Simons wide right, Gakpo wide left. Um, and they basically caused us problems all game. All game. PSV started on the front foot, came right at us, and we looked like we were struggling almost immediately. One thing you notice straight away in this game is that um, PSV were playing with a much higher line than they did in the first game. It looks like, you know, they watched the tapes and said, they didn't play that well. We can get at them. You know, maybe they were, they had a bad weekend themselves. They lost 4-2 away from home. So it's not like they were coming off the back of a scintillating win and walking in with confidence. But I think they just saw how we kind of got through the last game and probably thought if they turn up the heat, they can get us. And boy, did they do that. Um, knowing we had to win to have a chance of topping the group. Um, sorry, knowing they had to win even uh, to have a chance of topping the group. They really, really got at us early. Um, I think Ramsdale to make a low save early on. He pushed away Xavi Siemens' drive, and that was sort of like a a sign. He he managed to find some space in midfield, get the shot off. You don't give him space in midfield, as we learn for the rest of the game. I think it was about 18 minutes in when Cody Gakpo raced through, um, raced down on goal, lovely dink over Ramsdale. He was well offside. It was a good offside trap, well played. Uh, Gakpo was offside the entire time. But it was, again, a sign of their ability, that ability to kind of break through our press. You'll see if you watch the goal back, our attack, midfield, defence, all compress the centre space. And there's just one pass straight through. So it's all well and good sort of compressing the space when you're defending. But if you don't block off the passing channels, if you don't put the player under pressure, the ball's just going to go straight through and your entire team's taken out of the picture. And that's what happened. Um if Gakpo was a little bit more patient, maybe he gets through. But then again, he's in a foot race with Saliba and maybe Saliba wins the foot race. And that's one of the things about the 1v1 defending. If you're playing a high line, you need your one-on-one defenders. Saliba is good. He's had a bit of a, like the like the whole team, his last couple of weeks haven't been fantastic. But, you know, one-on-one, I'm still confident he could have handled it. A couple of minutes later, though, we did have a chance where Vieira got the ball wide right, deep and whipped in a ball. Eddie got a brilliant touch to it um, and their keeper had to just 
touch the ball over. Otherwise, it would have gone in. It would have been a superb finish from a player who really, really, really needs a goal. Um, and it would have been some goal. And you have to imagine that would have really helped his confidence. Um, and it's such a shame. You know, it shows you the kind of fine margins I talk about often in the game. You know, just that goes in and we're looking at Eddie's performance a little bit differently. Some of the criticisms that are there might still be there in terms of the overall play. But, you know, what a difference a goal makes if you're a striker who hasn't had a goal in a while. And Eddie needs to be scoring in the Europa League games. This is his bread and butter. This is meat and drink. He should be bagging in these games and he's not been in the last couple. And he'll know that and he'll be feeling it. Um, I mean, what I say, we really weren't playing well, in, particularly in the first half. And we were even worse in the second half. Um, I did wonder watching the game, you know, partway through the first half, I did wonder whether it was a case of, I didn't think the players were going through the motions in the sense of not trying or not caring, but I did wonder whether there was a case of sort of the players feeling some of the fatigue. And this is pure, you know, conjecture on my part, but I did wonder whether the players were feeling some of the fatigue because it's been a lot of games in October and they were kind of managing their pace through the game. So they weren't going full tilt because they have to conserve energy, otherwise they'll just be completely spent. So I did wonder whether part of our inability to kind of impose ourselves was because there was sort of a subconscious or conscious effort to try and get through the game and get through the fixture, get the point and get the hell out of there without going all out. But um, whatever it was, or it could just be fatigue or it could just be a bad day at the office, it could be all, all of those things put together. But um but whatever it was, the players were just not on it. They were not hitting the level. Um, and like we said, there are different reasons. I get the impression for players like Eddie and Sambi, it might be a bit of a confidence thing. And there are some other players who I think are managing the sort of conditioning and, and fitness and, and that kind of thing. And I look at players like Tom Yassi for that. Um, but again, complete conjecture. For most of the half, PSV were just working the ball well. Um, they were getting in and around our zone 14. And, you know, to some degree, we were compressing the space well. Tommy Asu was closing down Gakpo well on a few occasions. So PSV weren't able to get through as much as they'd like, but they were still being very ball dominant. Now, I've got to be honest, I haven't looked at the stats yet. I've got them here somewhere, but I haven't properly looked at the stats for the game. So I don't know if that, if it's borne out, but um, it felt very much like they were ball dominant. I, you know, when I was watching it, I wasn't watching it thinking, oh my God, you know, we've got them on the ropes or, you know, we're really playing it around them. It really did feel like we were struggling, but like I said, I could be very, very wrong. Um, yeah, it just, it did feel like they were dominant. I did think that Vieira needed to impose himself a bit more a game, again on a game. He was better this week than he was last week, but I still wanted to see a bit more personality, a bit more drive. Um, I think there's a degree to which, and I'll talk for myself here, I think there's a degree to which I'm a little bit spoiled by how good Bukayo Saka is, the way he drives at players, the way he commits players to him. He draws in, you know, two or even three players sometimes, which leaves space for his opponents. You know, his ability to sort of turn with that low center of gravity and drive straight into the box, his ability to sort of usher the ball along with him, then drop the shoulder and go on the inside or sort of push and run, go on the outside. And defenders don't really know what he's going to do, so they struggle to defend it other than just kicking the shit out of him. Seeing that, I do think there is a degree to which, you know, when you watch a player like Vieira, as good as he is playing on the right instead of Saka, 
it helps remind you it helps to remind you just how good Bukayo Saka is I mean at his best I I don't know man the levels that 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 guy can hit is 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 wild um but it's not Vieira's game but that being said a lot of quality in Vieira's boots again it's just going to be consistency and time and fitness and that kind of thing and he'll he'll kick on and I'm sure he'll be a great player for us but yeah it, it definitely was one of those games where you're missing Bukayo uh, Sakura is best. Um, there was a there was a moment where I think Martinelli did he have a shot? This is what I mean. I'm really struggling to think of what we were doing in the game. Um, yeah, it was a moment. Benitez could have easily been uh, sort of picking the ball out of his net. Martinelli had a great chance. Could have marked his you know hundredth appearance with a goal, but just blazed it over the bar. It's unfortunate. It would have been a really good chance. Probably our no, it wasn't our best chance of the game. Best chance of the game fell to Eddie, but it was still a really good chance. Um, yeah, it did It did in the end prove to be quite costly, costly though, because it was a couple of minutes later and PSV nearly, nearly go 1-0 up. Um, Javi Siemens managed to wiggle his way past multiple defenders in the area and tucked the ball home. If it wasn't for VAR, once again, saved by VAR. If it wasn't for VAR, we would have come undone. The thing about this goal is it showed great technique and great tenacity from, from Siemens. It's all well and good talking about how his technical ability, but he is really a tenacious player. Um, there was a long ball which was chested down by El Ghazi um, and Siemens picks up the ball, drives into the box, drops the shoulder, sends Rob Holding to the shops, does another sharp movement, takes him away from Tierney. Saliba's on him, but he's not goal side, doesn't want to bring him down and give away the penalty. So he has to let go of him. Holding goes past him again, ends up on the floor, and Siemens finds an out to get the shot off. Ramsdale is fuming. He has no idea how he's got the shot off, let alone scored. Thankfully, it's offside. Otherwise, wow, that's, that would be another one for the uh, Arsenal highlight reel. You know, Arsenal defence getting embarrassed by a single player. You know, kind of like Jota and Firmino and all those other, and Hazard and all them clips. It would have been clipped up right along with those. But because it's disallowed, it's one of those that will just get lost in time as one of those goals that could have been. So thankful for that because that was hella embarrassing for the entire defensive line. Um, but yeah, it was more the same for Arsenal for the rest of the half. It's just me looking at my TV thinking, what the hell is this? We need to wake up. And the half ends and we have been meh. Very, very, very meh. Um, at this point, I'm sort of in my head trying to decide exactly what this is. Is this just fatigue? Is this just players coasting? I really am trying to figure out what it is. But to me, it's just one of those European performances that you sometimes get away from home. It's just one of those things. Um, in the second half, we start better. First couple of minutes. Um Vieira plays a cutting ball at an angle for Tomiyasu to run into the box. He cuts back for Nketia, who swivels and hits the ball first time, but it goes wide. It's good work by us. Um, so we're starting off the second half better than we ended the first. And I'm thinking, okay, maybe we've got some momentum to kind of put our foot on the ball and really impose ourselves. Um, yeah, no. <laughs> no. The, I mean, with the... With the first half ending, you know, Erdegaard had his chance, which sort of stung the palms of Benitez. Um, there was Eddie and Tierney both having their chances, I think. Um, but ultimately, we're about 55 minutes in when PSV get their first goal. Um, 
what to say about this goal. It's just hella frustrating. It really is. Joey Veerman. Um, sorry, I'm just, I'm still thinking back to it. I'm just like, Jesus. Um, there was sort of a hopefully lobbed ball forward. PSV player rolls holding so easily, way too easily. It's just, it's bad. The wor- the more you see it, the worse it looks. Ball ends up getting played across the front of our penalty area and Veerman runs onto it and fires the ball into the top of the corner. It was a well-deserved lead for PSV. You can't really see anything. Because Holding lost his man, Sambi didn't track his runner. He wasn't expected to have to. By the time he starts to track the runner, runner's gone. Veerman's off. He goes and scores. Again, it's really bad from Holding and it messes up the entire defensive line. Um, yeah, by that point, um, Erdegaard and Sambi come off, Party and Saka come on. Uh, Arteta is starting to say, okay, we're only 1-0 down. We have a chance to kind of pull this back. Um, and immediately we're starting to look a little bit more threatening with Saka on the right. His ability to take people on and draw people in, go inside and outside is really starting to have an effect. But it doesn't last for long. Um, we're still under pressure. And as we push on, PSV are breaking on us. There's one time in 60, 61 minutes where uh, Party cuts out a pass to, to Gakpo, um, but PSV break. Um, could have easily been 2-0 um, if did, PS, if uh, Party didn't cut that out. Um, but it doesn't matter, though, because PSV end up scoring for a corner anyway. And that's 62 minutes in, corner kick, in-swinger, Ramsdale misses the punch, and De Jong, who came on at halftime, gets his head on. 2-0 down, and it's going from bad to worse. A um, couple minutes later, Holding comes off. Jesus comes on. I think, actually, there was a raft of substitutions, wasn't there? I'm, I'm trying to think back now. Do you know what? I'm just going to check because, yeah, um, I think there were a couple of subs at that point. Let's see. Let's see who really bad podcasts. I should have this up. Um no, I'm, I'm just sort of curious to see when the substitutions were. So I think it was around 64 minutes. Yeah, that's it. 64 minutes, Holding comes off um, and Jesus comes on. That's it, yeah. And Holding has had a bit of a stinker, quite frankly, and we need a goal. Um, but a minute later, PSV have another goal or at least have the ball in the net. Uh, Xavi Siemens with an incredible run. Shaco is struggling to keep up with his shadow. Siemens checked back, ball wide, Sangari. Sangari... Deep cross, whips the ball in front. Gakpo meets with a side foot and puts it past Ramdale again. Uh, and again, it's given offside. That's their third disallowed, disallowed goal of the night. So this could have been really embarrassing. Um, yeah, it, it, it's, a lot to, it's a lot to say. I think around the 74th minute, Tierney and Tom Yassi come off, Ben White, uh, Gabriel Magalhaes come on. And at this point, Arteta really is chasing the game. And he's throwing on all the starts. And I've heard a lot of talk about sort of, you know, should Arteta really have done that? I personally am of the opinion that he should have let the players on the pitch, the rotational options, try to figure a solution out. And if they couldn't, fair enough. I think you're 2-0 down away from home with 20 minutes left. You can, of course, win it with the substitutes. And of course, as a manager, he's going to try and win. But I think we saw something similar. If you think back to the Man United subs when we lost there, um, I don't think he needed to do it, quite frankly. I think looking at the performance, he you got to think about the season holistically and you got to think about the stages that we're going to go through. I think he could have said to himself, not throw the game. I think instead he probably should have just, you know, instructed one of the players to go down, got the players in one of his huddles that he likes to do mid-game, 
given them some instructions, you know, and then basically, yeah, given um, some of the more rotational options a chance to try and win it and see what they can do. Because while he obviously wants to try and wrap this up early because he knows that, two, you know, one point can do it. And, you know, if you get a goal with 15 minutes left, you never know, right? But in my mind, I'm thinking if you want to see some of these players, some of the rotational options, some of them are fighting for their shirt. Some of them are fighting for their Arsenal future. If I want to see what they can do, if I want to cons- if I want to see whether this is a place they can be and whether they're good enough and that kind of thing, I want to see if they have the ability to turn a game like this around. So why not give them a chance? Um, there was a chance that Eddie did have, and to be honest, I think it was probably the best chance of the game. Um, deflected shot from Shaka from outside the box. Uh, comes to Eddie, free in the middle of the penalty area. He swings at it, connects. The ball goes straight to the keeper who can't hold it. And it's cleared out by PSV before JC so Eddie can poke it in. And yeah, all I can think is Eddie needs a goal. He should have scored it. If you want to be a striker at this level, I don't mean I don't mean Europa League level, Europa League group stage level. I mean for the Arsenal, those are chances you have to put away, particularly if you're in need of a goal. You just have to put those away. It came to him at a good speed. He didn't have anyone around him. He got the shot off. He just needed a better connection. Um, and he's got a goal. And there's, you know, 15, 20 minutes left of the game. And who knows? But it's a shame, really. Um, 2-0, the game ended. Terrible performance. I never want to talk about that game again. Um, but I'm going to in the second half of this podcast. So that's it for part one. Join us for part two. We'll take a look at some of the stats, some of the talking points, and, and some of the other news of, of, of the evening. Be back in a bit, people. Welcome back to part two of the Hybrid Club. Hope all is good. Um, talking about the 2-0 loss to PSV. Um, this is my first time looking at stats of the game. I just wanted to check them out to see. To me, it looks a bit like PSV were in control and we were a bit all over the place. So I was kind of curious to see. So I've pulled them up um, and they are surprising. They are very, very surprising. So we lost 2-0. Expected goals, PSV 1.0. Arsenal 1.4. Um, 15 shots to their eight. When the hell did we have 15 shots? I am so perple- I'm gonna have to watch this game back. When did we have 15 shots? I am confused. Shots on target, we had three to their five. That sounds a bit more like it. When did we have 15 shots? Anyway, um, open play shots, we had 12 to their six. Get this possession. We had 69.8 possession to their 30.2%. I was watching a very different game. This is why the eye test is a very, very scary and dangerous thing. I'm not a massive stats person simply because I am too dumb to comprehend half of them, quite frankly. But I do like to to listen to other people who know about stats to get some context for what I am seeing. I think you need that balance between obviously the eye test and the stats and the combination of the two. You probably hit the sweet spot. So while I may not be able to dissect the ins and outs of every stat, I like to listen to people who can and see if what I'm hearing from them and what the stats are saying you know corresponds with what i'm seeing this is one of those days where the stats and what my eyes saw are on a completely different way they are in different postcodes my guy they are in completely different jurisdictions they don't apply to the same laws um the field tilt has us at 75.5 percent in what world in what world in what stratosphere I'm struggling to understand. We had 71 final third entries to their 23. Someone's lying to me. 
Someone is lying to me. This the, this is clearly the stats from the home leg. Someone is clearly playing a prank on me because I don't see how we had 24 zone 40 touches to their five. I don't see how we had 43 progressive passes to their 16. I I I I'm I'm genuinely perplexed. But apparently this is what it was. So judging by the stats, we were very much very much a a strong participant in this game so what this stat is telling me because i'm looking at you know that's all well and good but when you look at shots on target we had the three expected goals 1.4 like i've said um you know 43 progressive passes dribbles 10 successful three um this looks to me like we basically had did a lot in I suppose the general build-up and other parts of the play but when it comes to the parts that matter most we fell off a bit of a cliff which is ultimately putting the ball in the net that's what it looks like to me because it doesn't really make any sense um they had the ball in the net three times but only well they had the ball in net five times but one two nil so as much as those stats um and Thanks to O underscore that underscore crab for the stats. Um, it seems very, uh, yeah, it seems odd. I don't know what to say. Um, about the game itself, where to start? We probably have to start talking about some players and where we're going. And I hate doing this stuff because one thing that life as a football fan has taught me is that when you write players off, they can turn it around and surprise you. There were plenty of players who I saw at the club and thought they were never going to go on to be anything and had good careers. And there were players who I thought they could be the next big thing and they went on to do nada. So I'm not going to talk in absolutes. But what I will say is for the level we're trying to get to, some of these players are either going to need to step up or get out of the way and let someone else do the job. Regardless of what they've done since they've been here, there comes a point in every player's career where they have to recognize their level. It's not a question of a player coming here and failing, but I do think there's a question of recognizing your level and adjusting accordingly. Um, and the reason I talk about this as well is because, you know, it's been spoken about the fact that if we're going to be playing Champions League football, these players are going to be, have to be able to play, you know, every few days. And that is true. You know, I'm very much a proponent of that. That is true. But two things about that. Number one, if we're not in that position now, the rotational options have to be able to step in and do the job. And for the most part, they have been. Let's not forget the run we've been on. The rotational options have been doing the job. But what I will say is, if we achieve our aims and we are in the Champions League, the rotational options have to be good enough to win Champions League games. Or they have to be good enough to step in in the Premier League and win those games. So in other words, your rotational options have to be as good as your Premier League stars or as close to them as possible. And there are a few players who I think would really hinder us if we tried to do something in the Champions League. Rob Holding was terrible tonight. Really bad. I'm not going to be overly critical. He's been a good player for us. We bought him for next to nothing. He came from Bolton. And he's done phenomenally well. 
you, you may laugh when you hear that, but think about it practically. Probably at the time we, we went in for him, he would never have thought in a million years he'd be playing for the Arsenal. He never in a million years would thought would think he'd be winning trophies for the Arsenal, and he's done that. But for the level we're trying to get to, he probably is good enough to be our fourth-choice centre-back, but he shouldn't be our fourth-choice centre-back. There was a period of time when he was going to go to Newcastle on loan. I'm talking Newcastle before the money. And I think he'd be really, really good as a deep block defender. You're in a very, very regimented defensive line. You've got, you know, your midfield in front of you. You've got your striker defending from the front. Low block football. You're throwing your body at it. You're sort of tussling with the players. You're defending like your life depends on it week in, week out. I think that's where he'd thrive. He'd look brilliant. We are playing with an extremely high line, you know, foot on the ball, progressive passing, progressive carrying. That is not his game. And we know it's not his game, which is why I'm never that critical of him. Because I think if you are a player who is being asked to do something that you quite evidently are not that good at, and then you don't look great, I think it's hardly surprising, which is why I don't go in on him, really. He's a good player who tries hard, positive attitude, good to have around change room. But to go where we're trying to go, you need better. It, it, we've heard rumours that Arsenal are still looking at left centre-back, I think, Ndika, who's at Frankfurt, I believe, and Bassi of Ajax. Both names have been mentioned. I don't know how true they are. Um it might be time for us to consider moving on from, from holding. So I got a lot of heat in the summer when I said I don't think we should have given Elneny a new contract. Um, it wasn't because I thought Elneny was bad, but I've seen this story before where he has a good run in the team, he gets a new contract, and he ends up on loan to Besiktas. If people remember, he had a good run in the team, he got a new contract and he got the number four shirt. And within a year, he was on loan to Big Shiktas and he's been here ever since. But he did well for us. And I can understand giving him the contract because it bought us another year of having to look for a replacement. It was unfortunate that he got injured and then we tried to find another replacement immediately. I did wonder whether or not the whole point of giving out any the one year was to get cover so we could spend money in other areas and the target that we want would be available in January or next summer. And so the idea of giving him the one-year contract was sort of like a placeholder for that player who would then become available. Um, but my whole reason for not really wanting to give out any of the contract, despite the good performances towards the end of the last season, was because, for me, you're, you want to raise your basement. You want to... The, the, whoever you think is towards the bottom of the talent levels in your squad you want them gone and you want to raise the level so that the player who comes in is competing with your starter for their shirt and one of them is taking it. And after a couple of seasons, if someone's not happy, they move on and you bring in someone else who's competing for the start. And so everyone in your squad has a chance to be a starter and they're all pushing each other to do it. You may have one or two sort of elder statesmen, you know, and that's why in the end, you know, I'm fine with Elneny getting the contract. It's not a problem. You might have one or two other statesmen who, you know, your your Milners and those types. But like, even someone like James Milner is crazy talented and is a bit of a unicorn. You don't have many players his, his age who's able to 
do what he does and produce the physical output he produces as frequently as he does it to the level that he does it. It's not that normal, actually. James Milner is about actually a bit of a freak, which is why he's found himself playing for a lot of very, very good teams um, in his career, particularly as he's got older. You know, don't forget, he ended up at Liverpool after winning trophies with City and he, then he's won trophies with Liverpool. It's not by accident. So, yeah, for me, I'm looking at Rob Holding and I'm thinking, uh, that's an upgrade right there. Um, and that's not because he's terrible or anything like that. It's just if you're trying to get to where you're trying to get to, you can't go from Saliba and Gabriel to Rob Holding midweek. That You can't do that. Um, you've got players like Bakayo Saka and Gabriel Martinelli and Gabriel Jesus. You can't, oh, this is going to sound really bad, but you can't let them down by having other areas of your team weaker than it should be and i feel really bad saying that because like these are people at the end of the day they're professionals they will hit heights in this game that i will never see so it's not coming from a place of like you're looking at a player and saying but it's not that it's just he's a good squad option but he has moments where he kind of just goes and this was one of them um so yeah, I just it's one of those moments. Now, Rob Holding is going to go on at some point this season to have a masterclass of a defensive performance. But we're talking about overall level. And I think we're getting to the stage for the style of play, for the fit that we need for that position, where even as a backup, he maybe doesn't do what we need him to do. And in this game in particular, he was genuinely... I mean, the way he gets rolled, it looks worse every time you watch it. Um, another player who, not in the same way as I've just been speaking about in terms of holding, but another player where there is a conversation is, of course, Eddie. Um, I've been clear, and this is just my perspective, my perspective, as people know, I'm not one to go in on players in terms of their rubbish and their shit and blah, 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 because they're people and they're professionals and all of them are at this level because they are legit. Eddie had a rough night. To get to where he wants to go, he's going to need to up the levels, particularly in this competition. This competition should be meat and drink for him. Now, the service wasn't great tonight, but he had chances. And he'll know and he'll feel himself. I'm not saying anything that he isn't saying to himself. He'll know that he should have had taken one of his chances tonight. Maybe he should have got a bit more separation from some of the defenders and given himself a chance to get on the end of something. We gave him in or around 100 grand a week. Um, and I get why, you know, if you're trying to replace Eddie, bear in mind when we wanted to sign him up, he was going as a free transfer. So he was going to get big wages somewhere else as a free transfer to convince him to stay. We would have to pay him the equivalent of what he would have got somewhere else if he walked for free. So that's why he got the wages that he is reported to have gotten. Now we obviously don't know what those are certain, but the reporting I think we can trust is in and around that wheelhouse, whether it is basic wages or whether it's all in combined you know bonuses whatever but i don't really want to talk about the money because fuck that the point is that he needs to kick on he's not this isn't sort of youth academy you know youth player academy prospect coming into the first team happy to be here fuck that he is a fully fledged first team player with a first team squad number he needs to deliver he has to kick on um Earlier on in the season, you really saw that impetus 
carrying on from the back end of last season where he had that drive, he was coming on the pitch, he was running at people, he was putting them under pressure, started off well, really sort of liked what I was seeing, think, mm, yep, he's ready to go. And then the last few weeks, it's just tapered off a bit. Now, I don't know if it's confidence because the goals haven't come or whether it's a bit of frustration because he's maybe not getting as many minutes as he wants. Um, you know, it could be all sorts of things. And strikers are a bit streaky. You know, they'll go four or five games bagging in a row and then they might go a few games not scoring. Like strikers can be a bit streaky. Um, he's going to have good days and bad days. That's fine. And this wasn't a terrible performance, but he just, I think, players like him and, and Sambi, today at least, not playing like players who are trying to rip the shirts off their counterparts back. And I don't care how good the person in front of them is, that's the that's the aim. You can maybe not hit the levels talent-wise, but we might be able to see the effort. And I just think that neither player looked like they were trying to rip the shirt off the other guy's back. And that's the part that's a bit disappointing. But it's fine. Um, there is a question as to whether or not Jesus has been the difference for us this season. And when he dips, we dip. Um, there's also a question about his work rate and the parts of the pitch that he occupies. He moves so much. He does so much work. He is everywhere, left, right, drops deep, false nine, goes forward, gets on the end of crosses and and cutbacks. It's a, it, it makes you wonder whether or not for Arteta's system to work the way he wants it to work, he kind of needs another striker to emulate that. Um, and I wonder whether we're seeing a situation where Arteta might have to think about his number two striker being able to, if not in terms of talent level and an overall output, whether his number, his backup striker might need to have similar attributes in terms of movement and dynamism to, to, to Jesus and whether or not in the future that striker is more of a conventional number nine or whether it's sort of more of a false nine type that can score goals. I do wonder, but, much like I said, it's too soon for the Inquisition into Jesus. I think it's way too soon to be having them conversation about Eddie, but it's just something that's been in the back of my mind. Um, but yeah, ultimately, the, the rotational options generally weren't pulling up trees. Um, they want to be... Now, here's the thing. I know there's been a lot of talk about, and I hear the players sometimes say, you know, the players who haven't been playing as much and blah, blah, blah. Our rotational options have been getting games. They've been playing every week since the Europa League started. Our rotational options have been playing every week. They've been starting Europa League games and coming off the bench in the Premier League. The Premier League starters have been starting the Premier League games and coming off the bench in the Europa League. We don't have that big a squad. Everyone is getting minutes. There isn't this idea that certain players aren't getting minutes. They're not getting as many minutes as the Premier League as they may like, but they're getting minutes. And so if you want to play more minutes in the Premier League, you have to be dominating teams like PSV. And we didn't. Not this week anyway. So yeah, I I the idea that certain players aren't getting many minutes, that needs to go because everyone is getting minutes. You know, I haven't looked at the 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 minutes of the squad, but I have to bet that for a large part of them, they're not too dissimilar in terms of number of minutes. It may be different based on the competition where those minutes are are being, you know, being got most got, but you know, holding or play almost 90 minutes, if not a full 90 minutes for most games in Europa League. But he, you know, might come off the bench for a few minutes in the Premier League. Vieira, come off the bench in the Premier League, but he might play 90 minutes or, or close to 90 minutes in Europa League. They're all getting minutes. So 
What I do need to see is those those rotational options that come in for the Europa League games need to do more to 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 stake a claim for a Premier League for Premier League minutes. Um, but you know, the, we just need, we need to do more. We need to see more from those players. We're really missing Smithrow and his goals and his dynamism and his running and the option the alternative it gives us. Ten goals last season. We're missing that. Look, Berda Glimt one nil. Leeds 1-0, PSV 1-0, Southampton 1-1. Not many goals. Now, one of the things about our test teams over the years, don't score many goals. Um, look like we might be turning that around. Bagged four past Leicester, three past Bournemouth. You know, we got three against Brentford, three against Berda Glimt at home, three past Liverpool. You think to yourself, okay, we're maybe starting to get a few more goals in this team. But one goal, one goal, one goal, one goal, no goals. It's It starts to dry up a bit. And Again, fatigue or whatnot it is, but we don't have that many options, so we need a Smith Rowe back. But we are going to need to see those rotational options start to chip in a bit. We're going to need to see Vieira chip in a bit. It's not his main duty, of course, but we need him to chip in. Eddie, he needs to bag in these games. He needs to, um, for sure. We we need some of these players to start chipping in. Um, but look, the last thing I'm going to say is young teams are inconsistent, um, and we have to remember how young this side is. Um, they've been able to show some remarkable consistency so far in this season, but there are going to be days like this. So ultimately we recover, we go again, and we just have to remind ourselves of how well this team has done. You know, beat Palace, beat Leicester, beat Bournemouth, beat Fulham, beat Villa, drop points against United, but beat Zurich, beat Brentford, beat Spurs, beat Berdeglimt, home and away, beat Liverpool, beat Leeds, beat PSV at home. Drop points against Southampton and lost to PSV. But look at the start of that season. We've done really, really well. We just have to keep that going. So we've got Forest next up in the Premier League and FC Zurich after that. Both of those have to be wins. We can't let this drag on. Um, we spoke about last season and the propensity for one loss to become two, to become three, and you know, bad performances turn to a streak of bad performances and, and drop points. So this has to end here. Forest is a great game to do that. They're up on a high after beating Liverpool last weekend. They would have had the whole week to prepare for us. But they are a team we are more than good enough to beat. But if we don't play to our best, they can get us the same way they got Liverpool. So let's hope these players get a bit of rest. They're not going to have much time to recover. But in a way, there's an element to which they might want to get out on the pitch and uh, you know address some of those failings. But go out there, beat Forest, and then batter FC Zurich get top of the group, make sure we don't have to play that extra game in the Europa League, and then we can focus on Chelsea, which is going to be one of the big ones. But going out there and beating Chelsea matters nothing if we drop points against Forest and we don't do the business against Zurich. So we have to make sure we do that. We ha really have a chance, really, really have a chance to go to get to November, to get to the end of this part of the Premier League before the World Cup and finish it top of the group to be top of the table by Christmas. We have a chance. It's a slight one, but we have the chance. If we're first or second, fine, but we really could be first at Christmas. So we just have to get past Forest, past um, Chelsea, and I think we can do it. So let's see what happens. I don't care how, but this weekend against Forest and FC Zurich, they have to be wins. I don't care how we do it. I don't care if it's pretty. I don't care if it's ugly. We just need the points. That's the reality of it. Um, but that's it. Um, in other news, Arsenal women beat FC Zurich um, and remain the Group C leaders in the Women's Champions League. 
3-1 win, great result of the Emirates Stadium. Um, Jonas Eidevold made a few changes, seven to be exact, from the side that, that faced Liverpool. So Jordan Nobbs was back in, uh, Mane Obuchi was back in, Jembiti was back in, um, all brilliant players. Um, and those changes were definitely vindicated, uh, as was you know the, the selection of uh, Lena Herting, who bagged her first couple of goals. It was a really good performance. Um, started the first half on the front foot, dominated FC Zurich. Um, Kim Little, skipper, being brilliant again, confident, you know, in possession, brilliant, kept the ball moving. Um, one of our best chances came in that half. Around the 30-minute mark, Lena Herting did a lovely little deft turn, sort of managed to get an angle for the shot, tried to put the ball into the top corner, and it just skimmed the crossbar. Brilliant, brilliant chance. Um, Jordan Nobbs was having a brilliant game, um, really creative, really confident performance. Top to bottom, start to finish, definitely worthy of the player of the match award that she got. Um, there was an a, early on, there was sort of a perfectly weighted ball over the top um, that nearly sent Miedema on her way in the penalty area, but Zurich managed to clear the danger before it, it became a thing. That being said, of course, just before halftime, Jordan Nobbs, 1-0, amazing goal. Really, if you haven't seen it, go and watch it. It's fantastic. Some brilliant build-up play for me with Bucci player I love, just so technically gifted, so skillful, fantastic player. Um, she showed some excellent skill to resign possession and face up, turned on a penny, played the ball forward, progressive pass down the channel. There was a beautiful cross in and Nobbs just catching the ball first time, comes off the inside of the, the crossbar and bounces over the line. Amazing volley, genuinely brilliant the way she met it. Um, we got our second. Um, there was a brilliant bit of skill again from Iwabuchi. She got some space on the right-hand side of the penalty area, chipped the ball in, Lena Herting met it before the goalkeeper could get there, got her first goal in the Arsenal colours after moving from Juventus. 2-0 um, up, brilliant. And i got to say, Iwabuchi was balling out of control. So there are a few players, and you're gonna if you don't know this already, you're going to find out. There's a few players on the Arsenal women's team that I just think are sensational. You know, Leah Williamson, uh, Manu Zinsberger, Iwabuchi, um, Katie McCabe, just faves absolute faves um but yeah there was a brilliant bit of skill actually for Milwaukee which allowed us some space on the right hand side of the box um no it wasn't even it was it was down the middle actually so she did a massive piece of skill managed to like slink away from a couple of players and curled a shot but it went straight to the keeper it was like it was just yeah it was a brilliant bit of skill um would have loved her to get a goal but she's so if basically if you love a really technically skillful gifted mercurial talent than you love Iwabuchi I gotta say that um Zurich did well um in the second half they did manage to pull a goal back it was well taken from Serena Pubel um there was ball over the top woman may steps forward too far forward the ball goes over her and it's brilliantly finished to be fair um FC Zurich player sort of runs off and celebrates with her teammates like she's won the world cup fair play to her listen if I scored a penalty in the Emirates Stadium and it was empty and there was no one there but the cleaner, I would celebrate the same way. So fair play. Um, we managed to get our two-goal lead back, though. Um, there was some good play in midfield. Um, Stina Blackstinius managed to get a shot off from inside the box. Keeper managed to save it, rebounds out, and uh, Lena Hurtig is there to get a brace and regain the two-goal lead. 3-1 we win. Um, and after two matches played, very much top of the Champions League group, particularly after Leon managed to hold Juve to a 1-1 draw. Um, so fantastic for Arsenal women. 
It's what we do. We win shit. And speaking of Arsenal women, Arsenal leg- legends, Katie Chapman, Karen Carney, both inducted into the Women's Super League Hall of Fame. Um, fantastic, fantastic news. Brilliant recognition for their brilliant contributions to the game of football. Um, so the Hall of Fame was launched last year on the WSL's 10-year anniversary. So Chapman was inducted with Carney um, alongside um, Enia Luko, Rachel Yankee, Kelly Smith, and Farah Williams. Now, I think all of them by Enia Luko, Enia uh, Luko have connections to the Arsenal. Rachel Yankee, of course, Kelly Smith, of course, um, which is fantastic. I think Emma Hayes, the current Chelsea boss, was inducted. She got inducted last year, actually, I think. I don't think she was one of the inductees this year. But in any case, Katie Chapman, she um, played for seven seasons. Um, she was there, won five division titles, four FA Cups, two Premier Leagues, UEFA Cup. Um, yeah, fantastic player. Uh, Karen Carney, she was here for three years between t- 2006 and 2009. She won the precursor to the WSL, uh, the Women's Premier League, three seasons in a row. Um, you know, brilliant players, fantastic. Love the fact that they got the uh, they got inducted. Congratulations to them. Congratulations to Rachel Yankee, Andy Aluko, Kelly Smith, Fire Williams. Brilliant, brilliant news. Um, lastly, before we go, obviously some awful news last night. Um, Pablo Marie among five people who were stabbed um, in Milan. Sounds horrible. News has been positive from his perspective, at least. Um, unfortunately, uh, someone did lose their life uh, following that attack. So that's terrible news. Um, Marie's in con- uh, Marie is conscious in hospital. He's had surgery. Um, should be out for a couple of months, but positive messages all coming out. So thankfully, um, he's fine despite the tragic news. So yeah, just wishing him well, all the best, Pablo and Marie. Get better, get better soon. Um, and yeah, just you know, obviously to all those affected, that's just horrible news. And um, wish everyone else a speedy recovery and, and positivity after that. But yeah, not not exactly what you want to hear. Not great news. But as we say, thankful at least the the Pablo Marie is, is is all right. So all the best to him. Anyway, that's it from us. Um, that's it from the Hybrid Club. You know where to find us at the Hybrid Club. You know where to find me at C Says, C E A S E S A Y S. Nottingham Forest coming up on the weekend. Dust ourselves off. We go again. A good, good opportunity to get the points. Let's go get those points. Uh, like, subscribe, leave us a positive uh, review or rating on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. Get in contact. Uh, talk to us. Let us know your thoughts, what you're interested in, what you want to talk about, if you've got any questions. Um, thank you very much to new followers and new listeners. Really appreciate you guys. Um, but yeah, nothing else to say, but all the best. Speak to you in a bit, in a bit, people. <laughs>